Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Danny, we're back after a, a short hiatus. Uh, um, we are in the same room together, but six feet apart, because yes, today we're going to talk distancing. social distancing. Um, I've noticed that Billy has socially distanced himself from us from the beginning. Yes, he never stayed. he's never been within six feet of us. Exactly, exactly, which is probably why Smart. he'll outlive us all. Um, but uh, I was, uh, just before we started, just checking, confirming that Colin Jost is still engaged to Scarlett Johansson. Yes, we did is, do that. Which uh, is our obligatory movie reference, although it's an oblique one this time. Yes, and you were checking that because you wanted to understand the full impact of the coronavirus? Um, well, no, because we were just talking. We were talking about how... <laughs> funny the Saturday Night Live uh, uh, weekend Newscast, update yeah. uh, updates on the coronavirus have been and yes of course then then it led six one degrees thing led of separation to another. And yes yes so we can start our podcast with the good news that that Scarlett Johansson is still engaged to Colin Jost okay good or the good news that Colin Jost yes, is still, yes. Yeah, I'm not sure okay all right but we've got a lot of bad news going on well yes so perhaps let's just talk about this some more Okay. And it'd be a way of people not having to listen to. Oh, you mean Scar- another- We're going to change the podcast. <laughs> Hollywood another, actually, yeah, exactly. Hollywood actually, right? <laughs> By two people completely unqualified. Exactly. Um, yeah. So people don't. My wife actually said she tried to do an entire day's blackout of, of the uh, news. Of the news. Recently. Yes. To okay. avoid additional piling on. Yes. And it felt. But, but I would think, I, I understand the impulse, but it feels like it's an important time to watch the news to get information. But sometimes when you're watching the news, the news in 2020 or in recently, it's hard to find the news. It's a lot more commentary than news. Right. And I think that's one of the challenges. So should we then immediately begin to engage in commentary on the news? E- exactly. Well, I don't, I'm not a news person. I'm right. Not, I'm not really a commentator either. But yeah, I think we should comment on the, on the news of the day, but through the angle that we typically do, which is the government, the workforce, how to think about the government's role in a situation like this. And clearly, this is one of those moments where the, where, where the country... And in some cases, the world turns to the U.S. government and expects um, the government to play a central role in solving an emerging crisis or a problem. And I think it is interesting that um, no matter people's view of the role of government, um, big or small, they believe that it has a role when it comes to something like this. Yes, yes. And it's 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 a reminder also of the of a theme in this podcast of, you know, you, you you pay for the investment sometimes that you make in government. Sometimes they reap rewards by having the right people, the right experts, the right scientists, and we're seeing some of that. And sometimes you pay for the, um, for the lack of investment, right. whether it's in training or readiness or, you know, budget cuts that may have impacted your ability. So, you know. You, you remember this in every 
budget presentation from an agency that had an operations and maintenance budget, yes. they would dust off this old STP ad from the 70s of a can of oil and it says, pay me now or pay me later. So basically yeah. change the oil on your car. I don't yes. know, at the time it was like well, every it's a good, 500 miles. So it's a deferred maintenance like, real exactly. property argument, right? Exactly. Like there are things that aren't sexy in the moment that aren't, uh, you know, so not, not, nothing you can campaign upon, but are investments you're making in the infrastructure of government. And, you know, even back in Katrina, I remember at the time I was at OMB and I remember watching the news and, you know, someone was on the air just like with Wolf Blitzer and just like going off on OMB for making a decision to cut funding to the Army Corps of Engineers. Which I was the Army Corps of Engineers budget examiner in the uh, at the beginning of the Clinton administration. Well, they were probably talking yelling about at you. me. Yeah. Yes. No, it wasn't about me. Well, maybe it and was operations too removed. But yeah. um, but anyway, it's a. It's, it's a reflection that, that these budget decisions sometimes have impacts, and you don't know what the potential is. Sometimes you can cut something and, and, and there's no repercussion to that, but sometimes something gets cut or pulled back or, or deprioritized, and then, and then the world shifts and something happens, and it turns out that you needed something like that. But we, we talked a little bit about this in the context of infrastructure on one of our I don't know if we had multiple infrastructure day. Uh, it's infrastructure uh, week. It is <laughs> again, um, but this is the the infrastructure of science and discovery, which I think is an is a an equally important but not as well appreciated role of the federal government. What do you say more about science? And so discovery? the National Institutes of Health. Yeah. Um, even NASA. Um, Department of Energy, they all sponsor, the Department of Agriculture, they all sponsor deep science investigating um, how nature, society, healthcare, aerospace works. Uh, it's a role that the government plays because there is no particular uh, spot in the private sector to make these kind of long-term academic research type investments. But how does that relate to the coronavirus today? Well, it, it relates directly in the sense that having the ability to do strong epidemiology, having the ability to do, you know, have immediate testing. I mean, there yeah. has been a, a divestment in this kind of science over time. There's been a lot of making fun of this kind of science over time when it comes to, you know, the it was always one of the fleecing of America things. Oh, this scientist wants to study this bug in oh, this yeah. place without realizing that that, you know, that bug may or may not have played some particular role in the environment that, you know, related potentially to health or potentially to some other, you know, impact, you know, uh, food production. Yeah. But it always sounds so funny. It always generally involved the reproduction of some you know, funny sounding animal. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking at through the silver lining, uh, it's hard to see one right now, but, but what comes out of this is maybe a different approach to readiness for, uh, contagious diseases, rethinking how we do testing, learning lessons about, because, you know, why this could be happening more frequently 
um, in the future, because I don't know what, what brought this on from a scientific standpoint, but clearly globalization has these things moving much more quickly because, you know, 50, 60 years ago, it probably would have not been as quickly here in the United States as, as, it, as it came here. Um, but this is an opportunity, I think, for us to, to change things for the better going forward. And hopefully we can get through this with, you know, and, and keep it relatively under control and then learn significant lessons and make significant investments in, in, what, in how we deal with a situation like I, this. I, I agree with you. I hope that that's the case. Also, um, no more handshakes. We're going to get rid of handshakes yeah, forever, yeah, which I think is a positive. I, haven't, I, I don't know. There's something about a good stern... Yeah. I'm all in favor of getting rid of the handshake. Really? Oh, okay. totally. Okay. Yes. What are you, what's your I'll do an elbow move? bump. The elbow? A fist bump. Yeah. yeah. Do you do the foot thing? The foot I'm thing not is. into the foot thing. Interesting. I've never done it, but I've done yeah. like several. It's, I much, have, it's much more popular in like California. Literally, like today, twice, I've, I've run into someone and they extended a hand. Yeah. And I had to have that awkward moment where I right. threw my elbow out there where instead. Where you went screaming, why are you trying to kill me? I'm very paranoid, to be honest with you. Okay. And then, you know, I mean, I have Purell with me. Or I, I has, noticed. I yes, saw that. Yes. And yes I you Purelled before you sat at the table. I, I did. And I would have Purelled right after the handshake. But, right. Um, you know, I think. Did I, I shake your hand? You did not. We never shake oh, hands. Oh, no. Okay. No, no. You right. just nodded at me. like I did vaguely. Yes. Like, I, I didn't want anyone to know that I was too close. So yeah, exactly. Too closely associated. Um, but, no, so here's my concern is I think that Congress and the, and the political apparatus is very good at responding with the one way they know how, which is to do an appropriations bill. Yes. Emergency supplemental. Right. Yes. And then one... You know, the, the administration always leads, and Congress's job is to say that that's not nearly enough, yeah. right? And the House will eight times it or whatever. And then the Senate will add another, because they're the more deliberative body, they'll add another billion. Um, uh, and then a year, year and a half cycle goes by. You know, there, there was conversation about taking, you know, taking some of the Ebola money back. Yeah. Ebola isn't cured, right? So, um, so we I, have we have short memories. That's what I'm I'm worried about is that the that the understanding of the importance of a consistent commitment and investment in this aspect of our infrastructure hasn't been fully inculcated, shall yeah. we say, into the political. It's a good process. point. I remember. I think it was after Hurricane Sandy when like the subways flooded. Yes. And, and I thought maybe there'll be, you know, kind of a whole new push towards coastal infrastructure. There was this big resilience push. Yeah. And the, you know, resilient cities. And, and even, even the philanthropic community, after a good five or six years, kind of grew yeah. a little... They moved but, on. But it, didn't, but it didn't have the momentum, right? Right. And so, so maybe I'm being a little bit too optimistic. Because Infrastructure Week never actually yielded. Well, it's, yeah, that's a whole other story. But, I mean, at least from an administrative standpoint, mm -hmm. I, I would imagine that CDC and the relevant organizations will, will do a debrief, a postmortem on this and basically say, where, where could we have done better in terms of communicating? Uh, uh, not dissimilar to 9-11 after there right. were miscommunications amongst our intelligence communities you know, um, you know that led to a complete reorganization of government I don't know that that's coming here mm. but uh, there's certainly we're better much better today at 
um, collaborating around intelligence information than we were on September 10th, 2001. That's an interesting question. Does, does the NIH and the CDC, well, they're all kind of affiliated with, DA, uh, with HHS, HHS? Yeah. Kind of? Yeah, no, they are. They are. The CDC and NIH are all under the umbrella. They're operating divisions within the Department mm-hmm. of Health and Human Services. FDA? Yeah. FDA as well. Yeah. Yeah. They're so, all under the umbrella. So really, I think when you see... So someone should propose that we create a whole new agency called HHS. Well, no, that's... No, well, there's a... Be- no, that's why I don't think there's a reorg coming. Right. I think we already have the right organizations, but but we're going to learn lessons, I think, yeah. about... I mean, it's still... And it's, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there right now who are, you know, evaluating our response and, and criticizing it, and I understand that and get that, but I think there's still there's still a lot of time left for us to kind of figure out how the government did and what it did. The government can always improve. And we might look back and say the government could have improved in a very, very significant way here. I think we have to kind of figure some stuff out. I've not heard a thing from the Surgeon General. Oh, really? No, Have I, you? Yes. You have? Okay. I've been watching the, um, because the, the coronavirus pump- task force that's led by Vice President Pence, mm-hmm. which is having, I think, nightly briefings from the White House press room. Okay. And it's it's mostly HHS officials right. and, a, and a White House coordinator and Vice President Pence. And I believe the Surgeon General is amongst the individuals. And I find those, those I watch them because I'm, it's very informative uh, to, uh, or I want to stay informed. I mean, yeah, sometimes there's not information that you want, like, you know, the, 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 the likelihood of, you know, the things that you want to know and like the number of people and the number of tests. But, you know, it's helpful, I think, to, to have, have those individuals up there answering questions from the press every day. I think that's a positive. We should, uh, we should get someone from the public health service. I think that, that that's a yes. fascinating story. It's a uniform service within the Department of Health and Human Service run by the Surgeon General. Yeah. And remember, C. Everett Koop, the very famous Surgeon General in the Reagan administration, was the first one to put the uniform back on. Yes, I think the Surgeon General wears the uniform. uniform. Well, yeah. ever since C. Everett Koop, people realize, like, hey, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and so uh, and uh, I think it's very interesting that there is of federal infrastructure, mainly the result of the Spanish flu, influenza, uh, back in 1918, um, that was kind of created to recognize that this is a, that this is an issue, this is a problem when society gets big and communication can happen easier from place to place, things can spread. Well, we talked about 9-11 and the government's response uh, to that. Maybe we take a break and we come back and, and update, maybe we talk about Katrina, and the response there, and have we gotten better at disaster so response? I think there, there are two vectors I'd like to talk about. One is the outward vector is like, you know, the disaster response, the government's response to the public. And then there's the inside vector. You know, the government is this vast operation with two million people spread across, you know, every, you know, city and town. And, and those folks are wondering, you know, what are we supposed to do? Right. And this oh, yeah, is this the is kind a- of stuff that the poor GSA administrator and the DDM would have been having long conversations about. And, and the head of OPM. Yes. You know. Um, exactly. T- there's, there's a huge question around co-location of federal employees. Yeah. Continuity of operation plans are probably being triggered or should be being triggered for massive 
telework right. um, solution. So what, why don't we talk about that when we get back? All right. So I'll, I'll, we'll take a break so I can eat a little more of my chocolate chip cookie and you can have another carrot. Yes. And uh, <laughs> they won't come back. That is not a joke. That is actually our This snacks. is happening. Okay. <laughs> Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. Okay. All right. So, Danny, we're back, and we were, we were, we were commenting on the fact that you, you know, made sure you pureled up, and, and yes. then you're eating your carrots. and. Yes. And I'm just sitting here sipping, like, black coffee and eating a chocolate chip cookie because, you know, YOLO. Yeah, exactly. And your hands are dirty. My hands are dirty. And, yeah, I'm touching my face, literally. Well, like, as you really talk. are. I, I am. I yes. Am. And my hands are, like, this pinned is, to the table. This is horrible. I need, to, <laughs> I, need to, I need to emulate you. Yes. Thank you for being such a good... I'm a good role model. Role model yes. and mentor. Or I'm just type A and <laughs> paranoid. Like, I'm, like, A minus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> B plus. Um, so, yeah, so we have, uh, and you were, when we were talking about, um, having this conversation today, you were, you were, you were commenting on the fact that there are lessons to be learned from the traditional disaster response world. So you had, uh, a couple of important roles contending with some big ones. Yeah, I think that, I mean, what I, an important moment in my government career was, was the bookends of being, being at, being in the government for Katrina and then being in the government for Deepwater Horizon oil mm. spill, both in the Gulf and Sandy, and Sandy, um, but something about the fact that both of those, the Katrina and the oil spill, took place in, in New Gulf. Orleans, right. there was kind of a. There was a symmetry to it in terms of here we go again. We're deploying right. multiple federal agencies down to the New Orleans region. The disasters were different uh, in some ways and similar in the, in the others in terms of like significant local economic impact. Uh, similar in terms of requiring uh, responsiveness from multiple different federal organizations and bureaucracies. Both necessitated, you know, kind of a command center and on the ground center. Um, and, um, and, and I was very impressed at the time when the, um, when, when we realized that deep water was going to be a a big issue and a crisis, the Obama administration, uh, ran a whole process of lessons learned from Katrina, what went right and what went wrong. So that was powerful. Let's talk a little less about Katrina. Okay. Um, Although I can point out that the Atlantic has done an amazing Katrina 15 years later. Um, which oh is worth, right, right, and that which is yeah, worth the, digging yeah, the magazine, into. Yeah, um, talk a little bit about Deepwater Horizon because I think it really is an interesting model of what strong response can look like. And I know it started with you know the real, the real response, like the 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 beginning to organize a meaningful response that resulted in the in the ultimate solution was the appointment of. Uh, uh, Admiral Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Who played a key role in Katrina as well. At that time he was in the Coast Guard. Right. So placing like a, a coordinator on the ground who, you know, has experience and like their superpower is management 
of kind of a multifaceted response. And having had the experience from Katrina, you know, you're always more informed the second time you do something versus the first. And so he, and he, and he's an, an impressive leader and manager um, and was the perfect choice in the moment. And, you know, I, I've had the chance to work with Admiral Allen before, um, and I agree with you, very, very impressive guy, incredibly authoritative, yeah. uh, the kind of guy that people just listen to. But one of the things I think is one of his key qualities is he's creative and flexible and willing to entertain a new idea. And I don't know if Deepwater Horizon would have been solved if there wasn't a deep willingness to yeah. entertain new ideas. Yeah. I mean, what was so powerful about that moment was that the, it was kind of like a collective, you know, crowdsource because we yeah. could all see the, the problem um, and start to understand, like, what are the, how are we going to plug this hole uh, so deep? We can't get, we can't get a, a human down there. Right. Uh, because it's too deep and the and pressure's was, too high. The pressure was high. And yeah. so it had to be ro- a robotic solution. And, um, and there were all these ideas coming in. And it was a real kind of, you know, a, 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 where they had to tap into U.S. innovation. And the government and the p- private sector had to partner together to, uh, to come in and, and design and dream up the solution and then implement it. And it took a while. At the time, it felt like it took too long, right? Because every day it's heartbreaking to see all those gallons. And they had those cameras down there just to make sure you could see, see right. exactly how many bazillions of gallons. Yeah, of- and you see this ecological disaster unfolding, and it's heartbreaking, and and you feel helpless. Um, and I think there's there's a similar similar feeling today, where you know you know this disease is spreading across the U.S. Um, and uh, there's a helplessness to it in terms of how do you stop it. But things are happening right now that, um, that are significant. You know, uh, the NBA has canceled its season. The NCAA mm-hmm. tournament is canceled. The NH, all the major sports have canceled. Uh, schools are being shut down. Universities are sending students home. Ordinances are going out to avoid co-location. There's major emphasis. Uh, people like Dr. Fauci are becoming household names, pushing for hand washing and social distancing. And, you know, the, the, the country is, is coming together around a recognition that we have to change our approach immediately and, and limit ourselves from things we love to do, like the NCAA tournament. That's super disappointing for right. everyone. But but things are happening, and someone will say, and maybe rightfully so, we're doing a little bit too much, too like it's too late. We should have done these things earlier. But for right now, and go, we got to deal with the problem that we have going forward. It's not time to litigate the last few days. It's that there'll be time for that. Right. It's time to kind of figure out what's the solution for where we are right now. So Deepwater Horizon, I think, is very interesting on a couple levels. One of the things I've noticed about the current situation our gallows humor aside is that there are there are there are people who are feeling a real deep sense of like you know sadness about this a real deep sense of fear and concern oh it's, it's and, yes and absolutely. i and during the deep water horizon i had a couple of friends who were who were maybe a a, a little bit too informed in terms yeah. of what you know, the ecological science of the um, Gulf was and that if, you know, if yes, if the worst case scenario was this hole could never be plugged. Yes. The the damage that would happen then to the ecosystem of the Gulf was was completely um, irreversible. Yeah. 
and permanent, and then what that meant for the economies of the entire Gulf region of the United States. You're just taking were, things out to a logical extension. Oh my God, extension. they were yanking that string as far yeah. as it would go. And, the, and, and the, where it led was a very, very, very dark dark place. place yeah and you remember it was it was and i didn't th- at the time i didn't think th- in those terms because i wasn't smart on the science yeah my you know my my mindset my job at the time was just helping with the interagency coordination but my as a member of the public and a citizen my concern was more just kind of of the the the, the local economy and the the animals covered in oil but i hadn't thought about the the secondary and tertiary effects, which could have been more disastrous if the thing never got plugged. And we were still on the eye wall of the global financial crisis when this was all happening, too. Yeah. So this wasn't exactly, you know, this wasn't the greatest of days in yeah. the Gulf region to begin with. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about the person, the people you were talking to who were who knew enough to understand the dire consequences of not plugging the hole and could play out that scenario. I was thinking of an article that I read. It was either in the New Yorker or New York Magazine about climate scientists and how they are to get have depression. Sure. Because they know the situation much better than others and right. can kind of see the they're, they're at the cutting edge and kind they're of the see the kind of impact. people who aren't saying, hey, this was a great winter we had. They're the ones saying yeah. When they walk out the door on February 20th and it's 70 right. degrees in D.C., I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going right. to go for a bike ride. Right. They're like lamenting. Enjoy your last bike ride. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're seeing like coral reefs being right. eliminated and species of fish being eliminated and right. understanding the, some of these impacts. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's one of the interesting questions is then, you know, we plug the deep water horizon hole. Does it change our view about our consumption of fossil fuels or do we just pat ourselves on the back and say well we fixed that problem well i think I, I, i'm not an expert on this but we we potentially regulate companies like bp differently we mm-hmm. change safety standards on oil rigs you know and is it enough uh, i don't know but typically when you have a disaster like this, there's a, there's a change. You know, I think FEMA changed a lot after Katrina. Right. Uh, the way in which we distribute aid in the in the in response to a disaster changed. And as I said at the top of the podcast, I see this as a seminal moment for um, for our healthcare system dealing with these types of acute scenarios. And I can imagine we're going to be seeing some major, major changes based on the lessons learned here, in particular around the earliness of response, communication, and testing. Right. That seems to be right now the narrative right. is that we haven't done enough in the early days in terms of getting our testing. Because I saw a whole thing on, uh, on how other countries closer to China that have a lower rate than us dealt with it. And it, there was there were, a lot had to do with the... the um, the extensive testing that went on to isolate where mm-hmm. the disease was happening within individuals and to have a more accurate and pinpoint uh, quarantine program than, uh, than, than we're having today. Right. Um, so after the global financial crisis, or in the midst of it, legislators immediately started writing what eventually became the Dodd-Frank financial reform yep. bill new agencies were created even new, new regulations even new stars yeah. were born in the form of you know elizabeth, elizabeth warren. warren right um, yeah i wonder is there 
are there some enterprising senators sitting down right now watching this and saying, okay, we got to have the, you know, pick two senators' names and jam I them together? I hope so. I mean, I think that's what, you know, not to sound too corny, but what makes America great is, you know, right. you learn from your, uh, your mistakes and we, we adjust policy and we get bipartisan support uh, in many cases to, to correct the system and, and make it better. And we can't ever make it perfect, but we can make it better. So there, there are two kind of immediate outward responses. One is the, you know, the appropriation bill that Congress passes that says, you know, Russian money towards yeah. the problem distributed out into yep. the state and local public health. Well, that's there's 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 two versions of that. There's the was it 8.3 billion that was distributed yes. which is just to kind of pay for act ramp up of activities that are happening within federal agencies as a part of this response. There's also stimulus, economic stimulus, which is another dimension which is probably coming which they're debating right now mm-hmm. and is coming because, you know, I say it was a smart thing to do to shut down these sporting uh, uh, activities, uh, NBA, but, but that people are impacted. The, the hourly workers in these arenas, right. I mean, the economic impacts of this are tremendously negative. And so, so it makes sense for Congress to be debating what are we going to do to support people that are financially impacted by this? Because if we can support them effectively, we can limit the damage to the overall economy. And it's the right thing to do. No, I was having this conversation with a friend at lunch, and they they had been talking to a restaurateur and said, you know, what do you do if, you know, how, how are you handling this? We're telling our employees to not come in if they're feeling sick. He said, well, are you, are you covering their wages when they're, when they're not coming in? They said, no, I, I can't afford to do that. Yeah. And so it's it creates this then this very personal kind of transactional yeah moral dilemma well plus it incentivizes the worker to come in exactly that's my point the worker yeah yeah the worker has this dilemma is like okay do i stay at home and make sure that everyone in the restaurant doesn't get sick or do i go to work and get paid because i have to pay my rent yeah and it's i thought you were talking about the moral dilemma of the employer but it's really the dilemma of the employee that's more dangerous Yeah. yeah yeah and i think I'm just going to assume everything being equal, the employer would like to be able to yeah. you know, provide sick leave. And yeah. so there are some bigger policies that maybe come as a result yeah. of recognizing that this isn't a, an individualized thing that could become a societal problem as yeah. it has here. And there, and there are, there are uh, trade-offs and tensions. Like, so shutting the schools down... You know, obviously that has, you know, it's disruptive and it's not ideal towards, you know, education and things like that. But also, if you shut the schools down, then parents have to be home with those schools and some, with those kids. And some of those parents are, are healthcare workers. Yes. And so... It actually gets, it gets complicated in, in jurisdictions like the District of Columbia, where something like a third of the kids get a half of their calories for the whole day from the school system. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is that apparently this... You had half the calories just from that cookie, by the way. Yeah, well, I I was doing that... (laughs) I was was doing that for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I understand. understand. Um, But, uh, yeah, so this was a a struggle when we were thinking about closing schools for snow days. Yeah. Right? What do we do? What what happens to the parents who rely on school as childcare? Yeah. And what are we doing for kids who rely on school as... 
frankly, a safe, warm place where they can get something to eat. Right. And now think about a two-week or a three-week school closure. Right. Um, it limits the spread of the disease, we think. Yeah. Uh, but it has all these other other impacts. These are really difficult decisions because even, you know, I'm disappointed that there's no NCAA tournament, but I think the right. tougher point is the, uh, the impact it has on people that relied on wages associated with those activities right. in order to feed their families. So this is tough stuff, and that's why I think, and this is where it becomes really difficult because even if you pass hundreds of billions of dollars in stimulus, getting it to the right people at the right, right time right. is really, oh, it really a, hard. It takes a long time. Yeah. It and we learned that time. in the Recovery Act. It's right. not it's it's not like you know exactly where the most eligible shovel ready. Yeah. Well you don't know off this we don't have perfect information to know exactly right. where the most in need individuals and activities are. And you, um, but that's the right approach is to try to focus where the where the need is greatest. You remember the the stimulus at the end of the second Bush term was a form of a $600 check that got sent to people. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Right. So there was, everyone got their 600 Everyone bucks. got their 600 bucks. But uh, I forgot about that bucks, until you mentioned yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a pre-stimulus stimulus. But, but, right, but... but did everyone need one? That, that's a question that exactly. I have. Exactly, and 600 bucks. I don't think I, I mean, I was a, I have government salary, so it wasn't. You know, yeah, but I, I'm I not sneezing at it, yeah. uh, although I shouldn't, I should but I guess definitely they, cover my But I guess the goal in I that do. case was to kind of like get m- money moving through the system, get people right. back to the shopping malls. Right. But if you're so, some yeah. poor uh, uh, worker in a stadium, the 600 bucks does it cover a month's rent? You know, it's. No. So to yeah. your point, how do you. How do you do this in a way that gets it into the hands of the people who need it? Yes. Yeah, it's, these are these are going to be tough days for the government, and we should talk about the fact that a lot of these government employees, all of them, they're all impacted by the same thing, right? Well, and so, so they can't. They're, they're, there's mass telework, uh, I think, being planned at government agencies right. across across the country mm-hmm. and the world. This is not like just a D.C. event or a New Orleans event. This is a global event. There had been some pulling back on telework. I imagine it's going to go yeah, long again. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're just recently, Social Security announced restrictions on yes. telework. Um, right. Earlier in the administration, USDA um, and a few other agencies had done so. Um, but I think it's fortunate. We had that, a yeah. universal telework policy at GSA. Everyone had a telework agreement, in, including me as administrator. As part of continuity of operations? Ex- part yeah. of it was continuity. So what happened was we never we never had snow days. Yeah. People were a little mad about that. They yeah. Didn't, at first it was great. Like, hey, I get to telework. And now they're like, wait a minute. I have to telework. Yeah, exactly. The so. snow day is gone. But um, but the fact that we have experienced teleworking yes. and that we have technology, I mean, if this was going on years ago, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to maintain any form of productivity in the government. I, I, I had this great employee at GSA who I like to celebrate. She worked for the GSA um, Public Building Service in New York. And when Hurricane Sandy hit, she couldn't get from her home in New Jersey to her office in New York. So she went down to the Pep Boys, where she found that they had power and Wi-Fi. And she charmed them into letting her borrow a, a folding chair, she where she used her where she used her laptop and the stolen Wi-Fi. I mean, the borrowed Wi-Fi to uh, to to help. That's a that's a Hall of Fame employee of the year. Yeah. 
moment. That's 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 what's that's a great story because it reminds everyone of the passion that people have for the mission of their organizations and how they, you know, so many people in the government like set you know, do things like that to make sure the mission is being right. achieved. And, you know, it, it's it's going to be a very challenging uh, time for the government and for the rest of the country. And um, But, yeah, I mean, carrying out the stimulus bill, I mean, doing it while everyone's, like, you know, teleworking, you know, implementing. You know, you, I think you had mentioned to me the, um, the health minister in Italy has died from coronavirus. So a lot of our healthcare professionals, whether they're in government or not, are putting themselves in harm's way by, you know, kind of being on the ground in these situations. It's, it's a really challenging time. Right. Now, um, imagine for just a minute you are, you're back to DDM. I'm sure this would have fall, fallen on your lap. Yeah. How are you handling the, you know, we, we're having this conversation in my office right now. Are we open? Do we, yeah. do we let people come? Do we make people come? Do we tell people to stay away? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think communication is key. You know, there's interagency meetings, getting the right people convened, um, understanding what the key questions that they have so that OMB is issuing the right set of guidance, like what's coming up, what are your people saying, um, what flexibilities do you need to to either respond to the crisis effectively or carry out your mission in these unusual circumstances. Um, and it really requires, a, you know, OMB to be very agile, you know, and, and uh, you have to drop everything. Like you, you're, the rest of your job is gone. This is your full-time job now um, when you're at OMB in a, in a situation like this. And, um, and, and you can't communicate enough, but you don't want to over-communicate from so many different channels. You want to centralize communication in OMB and having like a, a one-stop shop where the agencies can get, um, can give feedback and input to OMB on what's needed and can, um, can listen to the directions that OMB is providing. So that, that's, uh, that's my, uh, my advice. By the way, I'm, I'm just checking. I can't confirm that that actually happened to the Italian health minister. Oh, really? Yes. I No, I heard it separately. You, it was like you, the northern region. Yeah, the northern yeah, region, okay. Yeah, yeah, I heard it separately, I just too. I want to make sure yes. that you didn't say it and yes, then credited is, me with it. This is Because this, this podcast will rocket around the world. It will, it will, will. And it'll be like, you know, it, Billy will get it done. You know, it'll be out there tomorrow. And, and Yes. Well, and, I can see your tweet already. Stuck at home. With you know no yeah, March exactly. Madness exactly right no no Washington Wizards basketball absolutely game absolutely nothing else to do you might as well might listen as to Geth yeah. actually <laughs> exactly. get your get your podcast going this exactly. is going to be the the time for podcasts to shine so well Dan all right Danny stay safe out yeah, there yeah. Can get I your some? Purell you can, can I absolutely some Purell? borrow some Purell yeah I'd appreciate yes. that do you, yeah. would you like some carrots uh, <laughs> let's take it one one step at a time all right very yeah. cool no. Um, Billy just confirmed it. That's sad. So. Oh, oh, the the Italy yeah. thing. Yeah. So all right, I want sad. I want all our Gov Actually listeners to stay safe and Absolutely. be careful and and if you're sick, stay home and. Yes, and hopefully the next time we get together in a month, we'll we'll be through a lot of it and can start doing like yeah. what went right and what went wrong and type stuff. But this seems like it might be a couple of months. And I and I have to say, I mean, a lot of our listeners are those 
dedicated, smart, hardworking people who would go to the Pep Boys and grab a folding chair and do what they had to do to you know, keep this country working and Absolutely. keep people safe. And, so. they're gonna, and they're working very hard right now yeah. to, uh, to deal with the crisis. So. so, all right. Thanks. And thanks, Billy. Thank you, Billy. Oh, way over there. A <laughs> hundred feet away. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Gov Actually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. <laughs>